Well, good morning to you. Hope you're enjoying being in Easter service and being with uh, the Windover family this morning. You know, this morning we're going to talk about walls. We're going to talk about some walls. Now, uh, you may say, well, what does walls have to do with Easter? <laughs> Thank you. There, Ray. Uh, but we'll get to that. All right? Just trust me. We'll get to it. Uh, why? Uh, so let me ask you, just to kind of wrap our heads around this thing, if I were to say, what is the, the, most, the greatest or most famous wall in planet Earth, what would you, what would you say? Okay, yeah, Great Wall of China, I think that's probably right. So here we got a little picture of it. Here's the Great Wall of China, 4,000 miles long. It took about 1,000 a, a years to build uh, this wall. I mean, looking at it, I, I could see just standing at the base of it, I've never been there, and just looking up and just only being able to say something like, big honking wall or huge wall. I, I mean, it's, it's massive, even from, from pictures, huge wall there. In fact, if uh, somebody, if you look around, there's somebody smart around you, you might ask them what country the Great Wall of China was built in. Um, (laughs) So that was just to make sure you're with me and tracking this morning, and uh, you passed. Well, most of you passed. Uh, Do you know for for those strategy type people out there, the Great Wall of China didn't even work that well? Uh, because it was so big and so massive that they just didn't have enough manpower to man it. And so the, the attackers, I guess, would kind of wait to the right time, and it looked like it wasn't manned very well, and they'd just throw their ladders up there and climb up and, you know, battle and, and fight and yell and kill the, the armies up there. Yeah. So, hey, there's another wall I want you to take a look at. What wall is that? Yeah, a little quieter out there. Uh, but, yeah, that's the Berlin Wall. Now, I remember when I was young... Uh, in, a, in the 80s, there was always a news show on TV, and it seemed like there was a story, something happening with the Berlin Wall. Now, at that age, I didn't quite understand what the whole deal was, but there was something going on, and so it was very fresh in, in my mind when I was growing up as, as somebody young. Now, this wall was not very high, only about 10 to 12 feet in most places, but do you know why it didn't have to be very high? Because there was guards everywhere. In fact, the, the wall, the purpose of the wall was really just to kind of slow people down long enough to give the, art, the guards a little bit better aim. And lots of people lost their lives at this wall. It's a very controversial wall. Now, we don't have many walls in the triad area, right? I mean, I've only been here 12 weeks, but I've not seen too many massive walls around the triad area, but we do have a phrase that we use a lot, especially in the United States. I'm not sure it's one that's used throughout the world, but we certainly say it here a lot. We'll use the phrase, I've hit a wall. You ever heard that? Have you said it in the last 24 hours? I've hit a wall. And what we mean by that is I've come up against something frustrating. I've come up against an obstacle in my path, or there is something blocking where I want to go, and it's creating some type of hardship to get there. I've hit a wall. You know, in chatting with you guys over the last 12 weeks or so, I've learned that many of you right here in our church family have hit a wall when it comes to work, occupation, a job. For some of you, it happened long before the downturn. You, you came up against a wall, and, and the wall for you was dead-end job. I mean, you have a job, you're grateful for the job, you're earning some income, but you go to work every day feeling like it's just this empty existence. Hate what you're doing. And you hit this wall and you wish the avenue in your future would open up for something different. And yet every day you feel like you're hitting a wall in this dead-end type of existence. 
for some other of you, you're, you have a job, and, and you might even like the job, but as you stop and think, especially as you've gotten older, you've stopped and thought and said, how much am I really contributing to the world? How much am I really contributing to the important things out there? And you look at your job and you think, I don't know if I'm contributing much at all, and it causes this frustration, and you feel like there's kind of a wall there because at your place in life, you don't think you can do a, a midlife change in career, and you're at this wall. And then for some others, uh, in the last several years, for people here at, at Wendover and for people throughout your community, we've hit the wall of unemployment. You've lost your job. And every day you've hit this wall trying to find something new. You're, you're filling out the resumes, you're sending the resumes out, and it's going unanswered. And so every day you wake up and it's just like plowing into the cinder block wall because you're working hard and nothing is coming about. You know, if this morning you're at this wall, this wall of job frustration, this, job, this, this wall of wanting to see a future in your career being something different, or wanting to see a career period, I'll let you know you are not alone. You're not alone. And you have a God that takes interest. Let's take a look at one story of a gentleman that may be similar to to many of us. I'd seen the news that the economy was bad. People were losing their jobs. But it was all this news to me until two days before Thanksgiving. As I was leaving the architecture firm that I was working at, I found out that effective immediately everyone was being laid off. My first thoughts were, how do I tell my wife? How do I tell my kids? What will they think of me? How do we celebrate Thanksgiving? Never did I think that my years of education and training would lead me to this point. And that's what people say. I never thought I would be at this point. And I hit up against this wall. If you're at this wall this morning, I really believe that the risen Christ has some words to share with you, something to offer you. And before this service is out, I really think he has something to share with you. Believe that. But maybe this isn't your wall. Maybe the job the Lord has provided and you just feel like you're tracking well on the job front and, and you're sympathetic to people here, but it's just quite, not quite your experience. And you're kind of cruising through life and then you run smack into this wall. And this is a relational wall. It's one we all hit many, many times. It's, it's a, a relational wall where we just have conflict within a relationship. And for the ones that hurt the most and cause the most pain when we hit walls like this are relationships within our family. It's that marriage relationship. It's that child-parent relationship. When we just smack right up against this type of wall and it's painful some of the deepest pains we'll ever face is at this relational wall you know what I'm talking about have you ever experienced this where you just run smack into it and you ask God what is the avenue around this and you just can't quite see it and so you feel like you just keep hitting it in this relationship 
you know, for some it, it comes from the desire to be in that type of relationship. I have a, a young lady we're very close to in our family, and we've known her for 10 years, and for 10 years she's been looking for Mr. Wright. You know, looking diligently, I'm telling you, for Mr. Wright. And so I talked to her recently, about three weeks ago, on the phone, and uh, she said uh, she, was, you know, she was frustrated, and she said, you know, I, I'm spending so much time uh, on the Internet, you know, doing some Internet dating. Uh, and she told me, she said, I, I feel like I'm spending so much of my income on eHarmony. And, uh, I, you know, kind of caught me by surprise, and I said, oh, well, that, that's, you know, that's a lot of money if you're spending a lot of... And then she says, in frustration, and I find out that a third of the guys on eBay are already married. I looked it up. Statistically true. Statistically true. And so she's frustrated because she finds out that a third of them are already married and two-thirds of them have lied in some way about their, their weight and their, their height and, and uh, their income level and their occupation and things like that. And, and I'm going to confess today, I'm five foot eight and a half, um, but every form says five foot nine I ever fill out. All right? So um, I guess I'm in the two-thirds percent, though I haven't done much work on e- eHarmony. So she's frustrated because she thinks either the guy is there on eHarmony looking for an upgrade or she's not really seeing what's really there when she looks at this profile. And so now me with my compassion and mercy gift um, told her, well, (laughs) you think you got problems. I mean, I I get to talk to people all the time who... um, they're so frustrated in their marriage and dealing with marriage pain and difficulties within their marriage that they're ready to take their spouse and, and put them up on eBay. You know, just, just put them up for auction and, and, and move on. Uh, yeah, we, we can laugh at that, and it's fun. But the truth of the matter is, the most painful walls we hit are often relationships within our family. If you've ever, if you've ever walked down the aisle and made a forever commitment, standing before a pastor and saying it was going to be till death do us part. And then you're like, today, man, I just, I want to die. It's awful. Then you know a little bit about what it, what it means to hit up against a marriage wall. Or maybe a parent-child wall. Some of the most painful thing is a parent who cannot relate to their children or a child who cannot relate to their parent and this years of frustration goes on. And so there's these families that have have pushed up against this wall in their life and they can't seemingly feel like a way to get through this. Or maybe it's a young family, a young couple who wants to start a family. And as they're wanting to start a family, right away, they find they've hit themselves up against the wall. Take a look at one testimony. His aunt was a friend of mine, and of course his aunt, and neither of us had a place to go that Easter. So we wound up around the same table. She claims it wasn't a setup, but I still don't truly believe her. It took us quite a while to get married. Three years, three and a half years we dated. Life was a little complicated. We were both busy and doing stuff, and we also just wanted to be confident that this was the person forever. Just kind of settled into married life, and things were comfortable and good and so naturally you think about having a family and you think well everybody else is doing it and we wanted to do it too and and it was great got pregnant easy and uh, went for all the appointments and heard the heartbeat and started dreaming decorating the nursery and just everything was great we went in on the 21 week appointment and I crawled up on the table and they searched for a heartbeat and didn't find one 
couldn't believe it, really. I prayed for a miracle, that God would do a miracle, but it was confirmed with the ultrasound that the baby had died, and um, so then they brought us to labor and delivery and induced, and it's crazy to be on a labor and delivery floor when everybody else is going to get children, and we're not going to. We delivered a little girl. We named her Lucy. I remember Jeff said when she was born, she's a miracle, and indeed it's a miracle, even if they don't live, that something that intricate is created without anybody ever touching it. Our nurse sat by the bed. Before she left, she said one more thing. She said, but what I would want you to know is you should look for something perfect and beautiful on your child. There's something perfect and beautiful on every child. She was right. Lucy was perfect and beautiful. We delivered Lucy in 2004. That's a long time ago. It's 2009. We've had eight more miscarriages. Eight. A total of nine. It seems unbelievable that you could have that much loss in your life and that God just doesn't come through. It's hard to think about what's perfect and beautiful when all around everybody's getting pregnant and everybody's having kids and now their second child, some of them. Uh, it's a wall heightened expectations and dashed dreams. Heightened expectations and, and dashed dreams. And we can apply it to so many areas when we're dealing with this type of family or relational walls that we hit up against. And it's a struggle. And sometimes we just stop, maybe in the quietness of our, our living space, and we just go, no way, God. Is it ever going to end? Will there ever be bright mornings again? Will there ever be joy throughout the day? What am I going to do? Again, I really believe this morning that if we listen to the words of the risen Christ, he has a word for us. It's a word of hope and a word of health this morning coming in just a few minutes. So some of you, this is not your experience. You're, you know, you're, you've tracked pretty well at here. And, and then relationals, you've tracked pretty well. And believe it or not, you've been able to manage these walls. There's, there's people that don't experience uh, this hardship in their life and this type of walls and you're kind of cruising through life you have sympathy for these people and, and their plight and you might even kind of work in and help them but it's just not quite your experience and then you move along and you're cruising through life and you smack right up against the circumstantial wall circumstantial wall a wall that's like the 2 a.m. phone call where you pick up the phone you hear the other end and you just go no way it's the doctor's appointment where you go in and the doctor says, hey, we, you know, you better have a seat. We need to have a little bit of a talk. And the words he says after that change everything. There was a Christian professor that I, I know of who was well-loved at his, his institution. He had been there a long time mentoring uh, young Christians. And one day he was out at an event and he was driving back and he got hit. Just got just nailed by another car. When he woke up in the hospital... He had discovered he had lost his daughter and he had lost his wife. And he was smack up against this wall of grief. It took him years to get off it. And finally, when he, and when he had moved off this wall, he put his story into a book. It's called A Grief Disguise. Powerful story about his life. And some of you are like, you know, I know that wall. I've had times in my life where I ran smack up against some type of circumstance that came out of nowhere and I just couldn't hardly breathe. 
and I tried to, to make it through, and I, I heard all the Christian cliches and the neat little Bible verses that people would leave for me on emails, and none of it really broke through what I was feeling because I was on this wall, just plastered up against this, this struggle. Some of you are there right now. There's something in your life that causes grief or sorrow. There's something you just found out. There's some revealed sin that just blew to the surface that you go like, I had no idea. And the list goes on and on with this wall. And we just get up against it. And we don't quite know what to do. Now this morning again, I think if the words of the risen Christ that are coming in just a couple moments sunk into our heart today and we really heard them, I think God has something to tell us. Somewhere he wants us to go this morning in hearing these words. Let me stop for just a moment and, and pray for you. Father, this morning there are walls in our life, walls that look just like these three. Lord, my only prayer now as we move forward is you would help us to be willing to surrender before you this morning these walls. We pray in your son's name. Amen. Well, let's say you're kind of cruising through life and, and you, know, you haven't really hit this wall and, and you've managed pretty well here. And, and when you've had these difficulties that come in life, you, you've been able to heal and process and move past it. Uh, there's one more wall to run, run into, and this is kind of the mother of all walls. In fact, when we were deciding to build this set up here, I, we asked the question, how high do you want this wall to be? How big do you want this wall to be? And I said, I want this so big that the, the most overachieving, you know, the most ambitious Wendover Hills attender would look at this wall and know I can't get over that wall. And I thought, well, that's going to, I mean, we're talking about, you know, floor to ceiling and as wide as this room here to really prove the point. And I thought, that's a lot of cinder blocks. Um, <laughs> and so you're going to have to use your imagination this morning. Would you close your eyes for just a second? Now picture this wall, cinder block wall, and as you look up, it's higher than your eyes can see. There's no top. And if you look left and you look right, there's no end that you can see to this wall. It's that massive. Got the picture? You can open your eyes. This is the mortality wall. It's the mortality wall. It's the wall of death. And guess what? We are going to run into it at some point in our life. We are going to run smack into this wall. If you haven't got the script yet of how your part plays out in this human drama, uh, none of us get out alive. Death rate is still kind of hovering somewhere around 100%. Someday you're going to run smack into this mortality wall. You know, I was thinking of uh, this week, if, if somebody was kind of a, you know, kind of a jokester, a high energy, uh, you know, joke, joking type of guy, Chris Vi, uh, that um, they might have a really good time being a hearse driver. Um, I could see him, you know, kind of pulling up to the intersection, and uh, everybody takes a curious peek over at a hearse when you're, you know, is there a casket in there? You know, uh, and, you know, that driver could kind of have a good time with that person next, next door in this awkward type atmosphere, you know, as you're looking over and you kind of let them know, you know, your time's coming, recession, no recession in my business. Uh, or, or, you know, you're starting to measure them like you're sizing them up over there. That could really make somebody feel uncomfortable. So, um, so 
So Chris, that's material for you. So have fun <laughs> with that. So silly joking, but I mean, really, it's true. I'm going to hit this wall someday, and you're going to hit this wall uh, someday too. And the Bible is absolutely clear about this. Take a look at this verse from Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. Take a look at this. It is appointed for men and women to die once. Now, for all those that have kind of maybe been a little confused about the whole reincarnation thing, it's not something the Bible teaches. It's appointed for us to die once, and then comes the day of reckoning. You see, there's two appointments that we are not going to miss in our life. Our appointment with the wall of mortality, every single one of us at some point, and our appointment with the day of reckoning. That day when we'll stand before this holy God and we'll have to give some account of our life. Now, I know what you're, you're thinking at this point, because it's what I'm always thinking, is I don't really like thinking about these things. I don't really like hearing about these things, and I certainly don't want to hear another hellfire and brimstone type message coming out of this guy. But this morning, instead of worrying too much, or instead of not wanting to hear too much, what I want you to hear this morning is that really what we need to do is just prepare ourselves for the inevitability of it. We don't have to stress, worry. We just have to say, I need to prepare myself. You got the time. You're here this morning. We have plenty of time to go before. Now, the real question then would be is, how do I prepare myself? How do I prepare myself for hitting that wall and standing on the day of reckoning? And so this morning, my only advice would be that you get to know the only one in human history who blew right through that wall of mortality. The only one who rose from the dead, the only one who rewrote the whole thing about life and death. My only advice for you this morning would be to get to know that guy. Now, hang on just a second, because for some of you, I know you're still kind of searching, and, and you haven't quite made a commitment for Christ yet in your life, but you've come around, and you're looking, and you're, you're hearing about it, and you, you want to really know how this God thing clicks. And so this morning, I'm going to encourage you to look to Christ for it. But those of you who are believers, this is your danger zone. Because for you that have said yes at some point in your life, it's very easy to just click off and say, know that, been there, got that. This is for the newbies. Not so. If this morning in any way you're not experiencing what Christ has to offer, then really what it comes down to is we don't quite know Christ. Know him in the way that the Bible shares for us to know him and the opportunities there for us this morning. So don't click off yet. You know, I'm... I'm uh, surprised sometimes when uh, I see people or I hear about the following of these religious leaders who have come and espoused very good ideas, uh, but then they've gone to the grave and they're still there. That's not very impressive to me. You, know, you go to their graves and, and you say, you know, they had great ideas and great, did great things, but they're dead. They're there in the ground. But then if you go to Jerusalem, you can stand in a line at a tomb, and what's going to really get you is that the tomb is empty. It's empty. He rose from the grave. He's the only one that blew through the mortality wall, and he, he set himself up as the Son of God because of what he did on the cross that day. Well, some of you know I became a believer when, in ninth grade, and that's when, I, that's when it all kind of clicked for me. I started attending all kinds of church services. I, I, you know, I went to Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday night service, and Good Friday and Easter was services I went to just about 
every year. Now, growing up, I always went to Easter service, even though we, we, you know, we weren't quite church-going folk, but we were there for that. Um, but when I became a believer, Good Friday, Easter, those were ones that I, I went to, and I started to learn things. I started to, to understand some stuff. If I learned that on Good Friday, I learned that Jesus died. Now, hang on. Jesus died a substitutionary atonement for me. I remember the first time I heard that phrase. In fact, I was so excited about hearing the phrase, not because I knew anything about what it meant, was because, but because I thought, I just learned a big phrase that I can go use and sound really intelligent. But I learned at the service that he died this substitutionary atonement for me. And so I started to learn what these meant, and I actually caught on pretty quick. I learned about substitute, and I had played sports my whole life. I was playing high school baseball at the time, so I knew and understood what substitute meant. If I was out there and I wasn't playing very well or if I was hurt, then the coach took me out and put a substitute in. When I went to college and I was playing college baseball my, my first couple years, I mean, my only dream and hope was to somehow get into the game, and that was only going to come as a substitute, a replacement. I would go in for somebody else. And then I learned about atonement when I was 16 years old as well because I got pulled over for speeding by Officer Horton, who is a legend in Moreno Valley, where I grew up. And I had to take that ticket down to the courthouse, and I had to pay for the ticket, pay for my wrongdoing. Three times that year, I had to go down to the courthouse <laughs> and pay for my wrongdoing. I told you, the guy was a legend. He was, he was good. He was, he was everywhere. So I understood <laughs> this substitutionary atonement. I, I, I understood it, that Jesus Christ, he took the sins of the world onto himself as a substitute. I got that. I understood that. But here's what I didn't understand, what I struggled with. From that early on, what I struggled with, what I could not make sense of, is I could get the theological thing on Christ doing that for the world. I couldn't make sense of how to get that to work for me. I couldn't figure out how to get that to work for my own little pile of sins. I couldn't get, when people said personal relationship with Christ, I couldn't get and understand how that all worked and played out. And so in my, my young understanding and trying to figure out, my first avenue was to go to, to, to think, I've got to work a little harder. I've got to fly a little straighter and, and do a little bit more. I had to figure out what is the quota that God has in place that I need to, to match up to to receive what, what this grace is or this, this stuff people are talking about. And so I thought the goodness of God, need, I needed to, to earn, really. And so I worked that direction, probably put myself through quite a bit of mental anguish, wondering what that quota was to receive Jesus' substitutionary atonement. And then in, when I was 22, a single verse, a single verse of reading, one that maybe I even in read, I can't remember, but it broke through. This is the verse I read. It says, not by works of righteousness, not by cleaning up my act, not by making sure I've got all the right Christian things in place, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercies. According to his mercies, we are saved. And I'm sitting in this little chapel on the campus of Azusa Pacific. This little chapel, it's kind of set off in the middle of nowhere, you know, probably, you know, the one and a half people a month go through it and sit there. And I'm sitting there and I read this verse 
and it was just, boom, a light bulb. You've got, what God told me was, it's not by your works that I do this. It's not by this. And what I learned in this verse, it helped me to understand that this substitutionary atonement, that it was given, get this, as a gift. Yeah, that God was giving me that as a gift. Now, I know if you have more of a, a Catholic background or maybe a, a, some other backgrounds, that it would be hard to wrap yourself around the idea that it is a gift. You might say, no way, there has to be some penance I need to pay. There has to be some road I have to walk first. There has to be some cleanup I need to do in my life first before I will be received in. And God says, no, it's by my mercies as a gift. There's this illustration I'd like to share with you. Let's say I'm sitting, fictitious, I'm sitting with one of my friends, and I'm, I'm talking to him, and I'm trying to explain this concept, and they're having a hard time. So I'm sitting with a friend, and I say to him, hey, suppose you are six months behind in your mortgage. And he, I'm only three months behind. Okay, that's not what I meant. All right, so suppose you're six months behind in your mortgage, and you get a knock on the door. And you open the door, and the person says, hey, I hear you're having a hard time. I hear you're six months behind on your mortgage. He says, yeah, yeah, I'm about six months behind. And he pulls out his checkbook, and he says, you know, I'm going to cover your six months and any fees that went with it. And you'd be like, wow, no way. And he writes a check, and he hands it to you. And as you feel like the conversation is over and the time is done, he says, well, tell me, how much is left on your mortgage? And you tell them some number big number. And he says, you know, I, I want to write you a second check. And he writes you that check for the whole mortgage and hands it to you. And then I asked my friend, what would happen to you? What, w- what would you do if that happened? And he'd say, I'd drop dead on the spot. <laughs> and we say precisely. Because that is what God has done for us. That no matter what you've tried to do to figure out this whole God thing, whatever type of works you've done or whatever type of daily penance you've put yourself through, God has just simply said, look, I'm writing the checks. All you've got to do is take the check. All you've got to do is pay, take the check. I'm writing it, and it's done, and it's done for you. You know, this grace thing, when we really understand it, it will rock our world. It really will. I really thought I got it at 16 years old. I thought I was there. I became a Christian. I wasn't not a Christian from 6 to 22, but at 22, I got it. I understood that it's not by my works. It's not by my righteousness. It's not by my constant striving. It's not by me going and being able to tell you, well, I go to Wednesday night group. I go to Sunday morning group. uh, I read the Bible sometimes. I give money sometimes. It's not by lining up all those things, all good, all good things, but it's by his works, or his mercies that we're saved. It's by that knowledge and the interaction with him that I find that fulfillment, that joy in my life. This grace thing, it changes us. It changes us from the inside. It changes our whole point of view. In fact, what, what really happens when we receive this grace, when we understand this, and we receive it by his mercies, it's like this light shines down on us. And it just illuminates us. And we get to see the wholeness of our life in a brand new way. You ever stumbled around in the dark and kick things over? Yeah, me putting up those sashes last night. 
But when you shed light on a situation, you see it totally different. When you shed light on this wall, you see it differently. You see in the ways God has provided for you. You see the paths where God has said, I shut that path off for you because it wasn't for your good. You start to see things totally different. In this relational wall here, we start to see things totally different when the light shines on us. We start to understand how passionate God is for us. And instead of working these relationships constantly about what I can get out of them or how I'm wronged, we start to encounter people the way God loves us. And we love them that way. And when we come up against this type of wall out of the middle of nowhere, we have this strength and this, this encouragement to work through it. We see things totally different in these walls when this light shines down and this light hits us, this illumination. And that's what happened for me when I was 22 years old. This morning, in just a moment, we're going to give you the opportunity to receive, to receive of Christ. This morning, if you're one that, that you've had some of the discipline of church attendance or, or being around, but you know you really feel like you're not experiencing, you're not experiencing what Christ has to offer, what he has to offer through his grace, this is your morning. If you're brand new this morning to, to faith or you haven't made a commitment to the Lord, this is your morning where you can say yes and start a journey with Christ and start letting that light shine your path and start walking down it. And we're going to do it in a way that's very common. In fact, you might have done this many, many times. We're going to receive communion. And so our ushers are going to come and, and in just a second they're going, to start, they're going to start passing a play along. Just take one of the cups and, and take one of the pieces of bread but I'm going to ask if you would hold those, hold those elements, because we're all going to receive together in just a few minutes. Communion. When Jesus, just before he went to the cross with his disciples, he held, he held a piece of bread and he broke it, and he said, this is my body broken for you. And what God is telling us this morning is that I went to the cross broken, so why do you think you need to live a continued broken life? I have something to offer you. I did the breaking so that you could be whole. And then he took a cup, and in the very same way, he held that cup up, and he said, this is, this is my blood poured out to cover your sins. And what he's saying is, why do you think you have to keep living in the guilt of your wrongdoing when I, I paid for it? I've taken care of it. It's covered. So this morning, as, as the elements are, are, are given out, Maybe for you, you're, you've been working and, and trying to figure out something more in life. And this is your morning to just stop and say, Yes, Lord, I surrender before you. I receive of you this morning. Maybe for you, though, you've been around the church a long time and you just need to get re-in-touch with this grace, to re-receive what God has to offer you. You can take and receive of this this morning, receiving God's grace and beginning the journey to letting this light shine down in you. Now in just a moment, the music will start playing and you'll watch a video on the screen. Many of the images on the screen you might even identify with in life as places you've hit on this wall. But as the video plays, there's two phrases that I want to bring to your attention. One is come awake. Come awake meaning that we awaken ourselves to what God has to offer. And the final one is the word shine. 
In fact, I want to ask you to hold the elements because at the very end, when you see the word shine clearly illuminated on the screen, that's when I want to ask you to receive all of us together to receive of this communion this morning. So as you, as you take hold for just a, a few moments, maybe spend a moment or two going before the Lord, and then we'll all receive together. Well, this morning, if, if uh, the Lord was kind of doing something in you, and you just know the Lord's saying, man, I just, it's time to surrender something. I've been carrying some junk for too long. Uh, we want to know. We want to be part of that journey with you. We want to give you the support, the resources you need on that track. And what we would ask you to do, and it, there's a communication card right in front of you. If you could just communicate with us, just fill it out and say, you know, hey, the Lord is doing this, or I'd love a call. I'd love to, to just talk with somebody. Please do that this morning. And again, that's only for our purposes. We don't give that information out, and uh, we'd love to connect with you. For some of you, it may, may be that it's just been a little premature. You just haven't been ready to surrender before the Lord, but you just like, you like this family and you want to keep coming and learning. Please do. You are welcome in this Wendover Hills family anytime to come and to join us and, and be a part of, of what we do here and what the Lord is doing here. So I'd encourage you, come back, be with us, and let us just invest in your life and, and come invest in us as well. Why don't we invite the praise team to come back up and we're going to go out joyful because Christ is risen and so we're going to go out singing and, and praising God. I want to remind you though that next week our groups for a season start. If you haven't signed up for a group for the season, it's a five-week small group. Anybody can jump into a five-week small group and move stuff around in the schedule for five weeks so that you can participate and, and just join this community. Just simply write on your communication card, small groups, and we'll give you a call and we'll get you into one of them. Ten small groups will launch next Sunday, and so we'd love to have you. There's room for, for all of you to join into one. Well, why don't you stand uh, with me now, and let's go out singing and, and praising the Lord. <laughs>